0: Today's sermon is from Romans chapter 12, that can be found in the Pew Bible on page 947, Romans chapter 12, and I'll be reading the first eight verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness.
1: The June issue of the monthly magazine, The Atlantic, had an article titled, The End of Temptation. The article was about how people change uh, bad habits in their lives. Uh, If you've read the article, it advocated behavior modification. It dealt especially with obesity and weight loss. According to this article, 98% of the people who struggle with obesity, this is according to the article now, can't change and won't change. 98% won't conquer obesity. But but yet this article, this article was optimistic that people could change. Just as a side note, I found that interesting because you compare that with what's happening regarding homosexuality in our culture, right? People people just can't change, they say. The statistics are so high. Yet here the statistics are 98%, and they're optimistic that people can change. But as Christians, we have a better answer than the behaviorists, don't we? We know that to really change, to fundamentally change, people need to be converted we we know that people need to turn away from their idols and to serve the true and the living god people need new life they need to be raised from the dead but conversion which is fundamental conversion doesn't equal perfection does it conversion is not the end it's the beginning it's the beginning of a process of change. God changes us after we're converted slowly. He transforms us in a process of life. It doesn't all happen at once. So he calls upon us, according to this text, to be transformed, to live a new life. Now, today, I'm only looking at the first two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I see four truths I want to lift out in these verses. First, give yourself to God. That's the main command. Give yourself to God because of the mercies of God. Second, worship God by giving yourself to Him. Third, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Fourth, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, we'll, we'll look at these one by one. Let's go back to the first. Give yourself to God because of the mercies of God. So the main point in verse 1 is that we are to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. When Paul says present your bodies, he means not just our physical bodies, but all of us. All of who we are. We, miss, we must give our whole person to God. N- not just our bodies, but also our mind and emotions and our will. That's what he means by bodies there. Not just our physical body, but all of who we are. But, but first I want to focus on the reason he gives for that command. He says to give our bodies as a living sacrifice because of the mercies of God. Now, I I think that reaches back, that phrase, the mercies of God, to all of Romans 1 through 11. So what are the mercies of God? We're to give ourselves to God because of the mercies of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a quick, very quick, survey of Romans 1 through 11 so we understand the mercies of God. So let's begin with Romans 1. God created us so that we would give Him glory and give Him thanks But we refused to do so. We worshipped ourselves rather than worshipping the true and the living God. Instead of being God-centered, we were man-centered, or more precisely, self-centered. Our culture rejects the lordship of God. We are taught to esteem ourselves and to love ourselves, and often to believe in the God within. But Romans 1 through 3 blasts that out of the water, doesn't it? We learn in these chapters that we are creatures. This is my story, and this is your story. We're creatures who have disobeyed God. Not one of us has obeyed Him. No one does good, not even one. All have turned aside. No one, absolutely no one, seeks God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, all deserve the judgment of God. We deserve final punishment in hell. We don't deserve to come to this table today. When the books are opened at the final judgment, and they will be opened, we will be assessed for what we done, have done. And if the judgment is based on our autonomous works, what we've done apart from Christ, we all fail. So what hope is there for us? Romans 3 and 4. Our hope is in what God has done because of His great love. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, because of His love for the Father and because of his love for us, gladly, gladly came to suffer and die for our redemption. Jesus, unlike us, always obeyed the Father. He always did his will. There wasn't one moment where he wasn't living to give glory and honor and praise to God. He unfailingly thanked him And praised Him. And as the obedient one, He gave His life on the cross for our salvation. He took the punishment we deserved. He suffered so we might live. I don't know about you, but I don't like to bleed. I don't even like to bleed a little bit. I don't even like, when I get a sliver, I don't like to dig that out and have a little blood come out. That's how wimpy I am. I don't like cutting myself at all. And more profoundly, many of you in this room, maybe most of you, you know, most of you know Joseph and Jessica Bonura, who have just left us as missionaries in Tijuana and have been with us for a number of years. You know the story, don't you? When Joseph was, at least many of you do, when Joseph was younger and he was out running and a tree fell on his leg and he was stuck under this tree for hours until his dad came and found him. And the only way he could live, ultimately, was by removing his leg, by cutting off his leg. No one wants their leg to be cut off. No, None of us want that to happen to us. But we'll do it. We'll do it if it means saving our lives, won't we? We'll dispense of a leg to continue to live. Jesus' suffering was different from that, though, wasn't it? He didn't suffer because he had to. His suffering wasn't like Joseph Bonier's suffering. He suffered because he chose to. How dramatically different that is. As the sinless one, he didn't need to suffer. He didn't need to die. He died because of his great love for sinners. He died so we could live. He died to take the punishment we deserve. Have you forgotten about the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord? We all do, you know, even as Christians. Have you forgotten about it? Have you meditated on God's great love in Jesus Christ? He took the wrath we deserve. So, so how are we saved? We are saved, Romans makes it very clear, by trusting God. Not, not by works of law, but by believing. We trust Jesus Christ to rescue us from God's wrath. Salvation is entirely the mercies of God. Salvation is entirely God's work. We receive what God has done for us. In Jesus Christ, we recognize, are you an unbeliever today? We can't save ourselves. We can't do it. We're helpless. We need someone to rescue and save us. Romans 5 through 8, because God has saved us, we have an unshakable hope. We have a hope that nothing can deter God is working for our good, even in our trials. The God who foreknew us and predestined us and called us and justified us will certainly glorify us. We will triumph over sin and we will triumph over death because of Jesus Christ. And we learn in Romans 9 through 11, yeah, there's a lot more I could say about five through eight. but we learn in Romans 9 through 11 that God will fulfill his promises to Israel, his mercies, His mercies to Israel and to the church. God always keeps His promises. His word is always fulfilled. Those whom He predestined to be saved will be saved on the last day so the mercies of god in 12:1 are another way of speaking of the grace of god we're reminded that salvation is of the lord that salvation is his work it's not our work we're reminded that god is for us so no one can defeat us we're reminded that since we're justified by his blood that we have no fear on the day of judgment. Instead, we have confidence on that day and great assurance. The mercies of God are freeing. Are they freeing for you? They're liberating. It doesn't depend upon us. The Christian life is not fundamentally about what we do, it's fundamentally about what God does. It's not about what we do for God, but what God has done and will do for us. That's that's the mercies of God. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything, does it? That doesn't mean we're not commanded to obey. We're not puppets on a string. We're we're human beings. We do make choices, and and they're authentic. God does command us to Obey Him. He commands us as new creatures to give ourselves to Him. But it's because He's given Himself to us. You know, I think it's a lot like parents and children. If you're a parent, you pour and you pour and you pour your love into your children. You pour it into your children Because it is a pure delight to do so. Indeed, it is one of the supreme delights in life. Yeah, I know it's hard sometimes. I'm not denying that. But it is one of the supreme delights in life, isn't it? And what normally happens, not always, but what normally happens, is that children respond to your love by loving you back. The love you pour out into children is echoed in the love They have for you. That's what obedience to God is like, isn't it? God pours out His love upon us, and we respond to His love. Our obedience is an echo of His love. Indeed, it's produced by His love. So, as we come to Romans 12 through 15, God is not calling upon us in these chapters, in these verses to earn our love for Him. He's not calling upon us to obey in our autonomous strength. He's calling upon us to respond to the mercy, to the love that He has already poured out upon us. The call to give ourselves to God is not legalistic, rightly understood. The call to obedience does not stem from the law, but from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that brings me to the second truth in this text. Worship God by giving yourselves to God. The the main command, again in verse 1, is present yourself wholly and totally to God. This isn't isn't a once-for-all action. If you know what I mean when I refer to the aorist tense, the aorist tense and if you don't, don't worry about it. But the aorist tense does not mean a past action here. No, no. This this action is to be renewed every day. Every day, anew and afresh, we are to give ourselves to God. What you did yesterday, last week, and last year does not exempt you from giving yourself to God today. You have no, you have no spiritual reserves to call on in that sense. Your responsibility today, what God is calling upon you to do today, what God is calling upon you to do now, is not to coast on the past, but to give yourself to God. Paul makes it clear that giving ourselves to God constitutes spiritual worship. Most Christians, when we think of worship, think of worship as what we do when we gather corporately. That's true, isn't it? Today we're worshiping the Lord. That is certainly the case. That's part of what it means to worship. But Paul makes it clear here that we are to worship God every day and every minute. He's not thinking here particularly of what we do when we're corporately gathered together. Every part of our lives is to be under God's lordship. So, we're to worship God in our work. In the conversations we have at work, we are to be worshiping God. In the ethics we practice at work, we're to be worshiping God. As children... You are worshiping God in the way you relate to your parents and the conversations you have with your friends and how you relate to your teachers. We we worship God when we're playing sports or watching sports. I've been at a lot of sporting events, and I'm not thinking so much of the kids here, but the parents. But sometimes the parents who are Christians at sporting events, they're not worshiping God. The things that come out of their mouth. As they're watching. But that's part of worship too, isn't it? What we do when we're watching sports or playing sports. The language of worship is clear when Paul says that we are to give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed to God to atone for sin. But animals were also sacrificed to signify dedication to God. to to signify thanksgiving to God. And that's what Paul has in mind here. Just as the life of the animal was given to God through death, we are to give ourselves to God as a sacrifice, so to speak. Our, Our lives are at His disposal, or at least they're supposed to be. And they're living sacrifices. Why living? Because we have new life in Christ Jesus. This is addressed to Christians. He's not saying, give yourself to God so that you'll belong to God. He's saying, give yourself to God as the one who has risen from the dead with Jesus Christ. You've died with Christ and you've risen with him, so give yourself to God. The connection with worship is also clear from verse 1. Giving ourselves to God is our spiritual worship. That word spiritual could also be translated reasonable. It's our reasonable worship. It's our logical worship. Since God has given us everything, and He has, hasn't He, for life and godliness, it's reasonable to worship Him by giving our whole lives to Him. And giving our lives to Him, we will be holy we will be dedicated and consecrated to God. And when we give ourselves to God, we please God. It's, it's, it's like parents and children again, isn't it? God is our Father. He loves us and He's pleased when we obey Him. And He's displeased, even though He still loves us. Right? We love our children when they disobey. But He's displeased when we disobey Him. And calls upon us to repent and to turn to Him. So, are you giving yourself to God? Are you giving your body to God? Are you giving yourself to God in what you eat and drink? Paul says, whether we eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. Are you eating too much? We all do sometimes, don't we? Are you eating too much regularly? Are you drinking too much? Are you fanatically dieting? Because you have a false image of the way you think your body should look. So that you are not content with the way God has actually made you. There's another extreme, isn't there? There's that extreme too. People who deny themselves proper food because they have this wrong image of what beauty is and what's required. Do you exercise wisely without being fanatical? There's extremes, aren't there? Not taking care of our bodies. Well, but on the other hand, fanatical about exercise where it becomes our God. Are you enslaved to pornography so that you're giving yourself consistently over to what is evil? Are your eyes looking at what they should not be looking at? Are you telling anybody about it? Are you hiding it? If you're doing so, you need an accountability partner. You need someone who's spiritually stronger than you, an elder or the leader of your small group or someone whom you trust and who can shepherd and help you fight that battle. Are you giving yourself to God in your marriage? Do you view your marriage as a way to increase your happiness and your joy? Or do you see it as a way that you can please God by loving and serving and caring for your spouse? In your marriage, you're to give yourself to God. Is selfishness dominating your marriage relationship? Is it your goal to make your spouse spiritually stronger what about your free time? Do you think of using some of your free time? Some of you have very limited free time, I know. But do you think of using some of your free time to strengthen other members of the body of Christ at Clifton? Do you think of spending some of your time in meeting others for coffee or lunch to encourage them in the things of the Lord now look, it's wise, isn't it, to spend some time to relax and to catch our breath so that we have strength to go on for each day. God wants us to be wise. One of the little phrases of John Piper that I always loved is he would say, you have to find the pace to finish the race. I think that's a great saying. Find that Find the pace to finish the race. And that pace is different for each person, isn't it? We can't legislate for someone else. We have to be careful of that because we're different, aren't we? We have a different amount of strength and, and different circumstances. Still, are you spending an inordinate amount of time wasting your time? Are you really giving yourself to God or are you spending too much time That's the issue, isn't it? Too much time listening to music or on Facebook or surfing the net or watching television or playing Wii or golfing. The issue isn't a set of legalistic rules for how much time we spend on anything. There's no formulas here, are there? The question is, between you and God, but others, I think, can speak in your life, are you dedicating your life to Him? Are you living for God's glory and honor and praise? Are you doing everything in your life in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking God the Father for Him? Third, third, here, here I borrow the words of uh, J.B. Phillips in his uh, translation of Romans 12. So I labeled my third point, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I always love that translation by Phillips. Don't let that w- the world squeeze you. Older fundamentalists rightly understood the dangers of worldliness, but they often focused in, they, on legalistic rules giving commands like don't drink, don't go to movies, don't smoke. Now, most Christians today see the weaknesses in such legalism. We may even mock and deride the pettiness of those who preceded us. But we must beware at the same time, because our freedom can become a path to license. So often we live to get the world's approval. And we're conformed to this world while we're celebrating the fact, well, we're free from legalism. So when, we're, when you're with unbelievers, do you compromise to get their approval? In your humor, do you do that? Ephesians 5 verse 3 says that coarse jesting and obscene speech is not pleasing to God. Do you indulge in such talk with the excuse that those who think that such things are wrong are just legalists? I heard the story recently of an evangelical pastor, not not a well-known pastor, not a pastor I'd ever heard his name before, but he was talking to some members who objected to his speech, the coarseness of his speech. He justified it by saying, we need to reach the world. If evangelical pastors are saying this, it isn't hard to imagine what's happening among church members. Do you refrain from voicing your own opinion in public because you don't want people to think you're too narrow minded? Do you refrain from sharing the gospel because you want people to think you're open minded? So a worldly spirit compromises with the world. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, 44, He says, How can you believe? How can you believe? While accepting glory from one another, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. So what's at the heart of worldliness? It's a lust. It's a lust. We all face it, don't we? I face it. It's a lust for approval from people instead of the approval that comes from God. Why are we worldly? Because we want other people to like us. And therefore we compromise. That's what the Pharisees lusted after. So they didn't seek the glory of God. And Jesus said to them, I know you. I know you. That you don't have the love of God in you. If we do have the love of God in us, let's resist the world because of the mercies of God. Finally, the fourth truth is that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're not to be conformed to this world, but the change in our life is positive, isn't it? He, God wants us to live a transformed life. He wants us to live in a new way, a way that pleases God and brings Him praise. But notice how that transformation takes place. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds by thinking in a new way. We're to think differently about life than we did as unbelievers. You know, God could have changed us completely and made us entirely righteous and holy at our conversion. Wouldn't that have been nice? But instead, He slowly and progressively sanctifies us As I said at the beginning, becoming more like Jesus, being transformed takes time. The Bible doesn't teach that we'll become perfect in this life, but it also teaches that sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, is a process. It doesn't happen in an instant. Why doesn't it happen in an instant? I mean, the Bible, I don't think, specifically answers that question, but I think He changes us slowly so we can see, this has been true in my life, I can see more clearly than I ever did when I was first converted or before I was converted, I can see how sinful and selfish I am as the process goes on. We see into ourselves and therefore we appreciate more the stunning grace of God that's transformed us. Look how great the grace is, because look how evil I am. I didn't know I was that selfish. I said that in a profound way when we had kids. I didn't know I was that selfish with my time. And so we appreciate the grace of God. Still we're called upon to be transformed. Because when we're unbelievers, we have a wrong understanding of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Unbelievers aren't intellectually inferior to us, aren't they? Are they? They're not stupider than us. A lot of times they're smarter. But they serve another master. Their minds serve another Lord. And they're very proud of what they think. We're all very proud of what we think. We all think we're right. Do you think you're wrong about anything you believe? Of course not. We all believe we're right. So God says to us, you need to reshape your thinking by my word. You need to be shaped by what I say. Your mind needs to be renewed. And this is a lifelong process. Don't think. Don't think. Well, I've been a Christian 40 years. My mind's renewed. I'm done with that. I've got a renewed mind. No, this takes place every day, doesn't it? Even if you've been a Christian for many years, you need your mind renewed today. And so do I. Just as you give yourself to God anew every day, so you need your mind renewed every day. Even as Christians, Satan is subtle. We can slip back into wrong ways of thinking. Let me just be really practical, not so much thinking of theology here, although it can happen there as well, but have you become a critical person? Negative in your conversation? Is your conversation sweet and edifying and gracious? Well, we say what we're thinking about. That's a sign your mind's not being renewed. If you're fundamentally critical, complaining, lamenting, if, that, if that's what marks your life, is it marking your life? Your mind's about not being renewed then. Satan's getting a little part of your life, isn't he? Or a big part of your life. You're not recognizing it. Are you anxious and worried? We all struggle with that, don't we? But is that taking over your life? Then your mind's not being renewed. Or at least it needs to be renewed. How? By the Scriptures. By the Word of God. By the truth of God found in the Scriptures. God tells us in the Scriptures the truth about Himself and the truth about us and the truth about the world. So we come to the Scriptures humbly asking God to teach us and instruct us. And if we're humble... We're refreshed and we're renewed every day in the truth of God's Word. Then we're eager to learn. We gather regularly, you're doing that today, right? With other believers to hear the Word taught and proclaimed. So we're renewed. We search the Scriptures to see what they teach. They become our authority for both faith and practice. Faith for what we believe and practice for what we do. Our doctrines come from the Bible, and then we're able to discern the will of God. I mean, often the will of God is clear, His moral commands, but there are many areas of life where there is no particular command, where we need wisdom. We need a biblical worldview. And again, there's no formulas here. But if your mind is renewed... Paul is saying you will be able to discern God's will in all those areas of life. You'll start to think the way God does. We need wisdom at work and in school and in our families and in our leisure time. So reading and understanding God's word is very practical, isn't it? God's truth must determine what you think about politics, economics, history, literature, and philosophy. I'm not advocating any particular political party in saying that. I'm just saying God's truth rules over everything. When we read literature, we read it as Christians, don't we? And when we read economics, we read it as Christians, so it's not just our private lives, is it? It's all of our life is to be renewed according to God's truth. Because a transformed life won't take place without a transformed mind. So I close by saying Because of God's great mercy, give yourself entirely to God. Ask Him to make your life, that's what I'm asking Him today, to make your life count for His praise and His glory. Ask Him in the few little years you live, how many will it be? We don't know, do we? But ask Him for those few years we live to make your life count for His glory that we may have a heart of wisdom and come back Wednesday night to hear Steve Waters' Talk about that as he teaches on Psalm 90. How we can have a heart of wisdom so that our lives count for him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your mercies that are new every morning, but that also reach back to eternity past since you have predestined us to be your children. Lord, may, may this call to give ourselves entirely and gladly to you, may this call be rooted in the mercy that you have shown us. May it be an echo of your great love and a response to your love. Lord, we pray that our lives would be yours. And Lord, if we think of anything now in our lives that isn't given to you, may we give it to you. May we, by your grace, pledge to follow you and obey you and do what you've called us to do because of your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.